0: Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. Cordero Davis, author, coach, diversity, equity, and inclusion architect, also the founder and chief equity officer for Cordero Davis International, LLC. Through his international consulting work, Cordero has impacted thousands of employees and students globally, has assisted top Silicon Valley tech companies like Airbnb, Facebook, and Indeed.com to rapidly scale their workforces, resulting in hundreds of diverse hires. After his in-house experiences, Cordero created his own black enterprise by launching the consulting firm Cordero Davis International and Diversity Studios. Diversity Studios focuses on assisting black and brown individuals with navigating their careers in corporate America, while also assisting tech companies with the infrastructure to design, and deploy inclusive workplaces for black and brown talent. He has years of experience and dedication to education, organizational leadership, and diversity and inclusion. He is a frequent speaker on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm pleased to have Cordero Davis join me. All right, today I am joined by Cordero Davis. I am so excited to have you here this week. And you have so many things going on. We're going to get to, I mean, I talked a little bit about your introduction, but that seems like a, just scratching the surface of some of the things that you have done. So I am excited that you are joining me. And I figured we would just start by talking a little bit about your journey and how you even got into diversity and inclusion now that you've traveled the world and are you know, consulting internationally. How did you get here?
1: Wow, wow. Thank you so much for the introduction and honestly just being your amazing self. I usually like to tell people that the d journey started very young for me, you know, growing up in a segregated town in Mississippi where still to this day, whites live on one side of the track and blacks live on the other. I've never had the opportunity to not think about what does diversity, equity, inclusion mean? I've been thinking about it since day one, growing up in this small, divided town where our school district did not become desegregated until 2017. This is 10 years after me graduating high school. So you can imagine the level of trauma. And <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 2017, the Supreme Court yeah, had to step I'm in. I'm just if you, you research it. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you research Cleveland, Mississippi, it comes up that, you know, until 2017, the school districts were integrated. And still to this day, they are dealing with, shall I say, the backlash of that from, you can say, white supremacists, (laughs) people who feel like being white is superior than the importance of your, your child being around a diverse community, around diverse mindsets and different perspectives. And so since a very young boy, I have been integrated into this work, which is my, my upcoming book that's talking about the good slave story, which is when I was 16, I was called a good slave by an older white woman in, the, in my first job. And um, she took that. Yeah, she, she called me a good slave and she thought it was a compliment. And in that moment is when I realized the true meaning of ally and advocacy. And my teacher, another older white woman, came up to the job the same day and basically straightened her out and talked to the manager. The manager would not do anything to, shall I say, reprimand this lady. And so she decided to remove me from that job. And that was the first time I got to see someone in a seat of uh, not being underrepresented. Stand up for me. And understand that I am valuable, my worth and what I bring to the world is not meant to be diminished in the workplace. And so I have had a journey experience when it comes to race relations, discrimination and bias. And when I say the stories go on and on, going into Silicon Valley, living in China, um, I've had to experience all of these different things in so many different layers from workplace discrimination to you know being called a rapper just because I'm Black and I'm living in China. And then the opportunities that I've had to truly influence and educate people around the world has Definitely shifted not only my mindset and my perspective, but hundreds and thousands of people that I've met. And so I'm just truly grateful to be here today to have this conversation with you and to, you know, talk about my experiences of being in Asia, being sometimes the only Black man um, in Asia. Not <laughs> one of the first in many cities across China, I was usually the only Black man. And then started my career in Silicon Valley in 2014 when I was likely the only Black man on my teams um, at places like Airbnb. And Facebook, et cetera. And so it's definitely been a journey experience. But I'm happy to be here to shed light, to be a voice, and to be and to provide access and opportunity for our community, specifically Black and Latinx.
0: That's awesome. And I mean, it's so interesting because you know, there's so many stories like yours mm-hmm. to some degree. So, like, mm-hmm. get me from you grew up in uh, this little town in Mississippi. And then you went to an HBCU and now and then you went to China. Like, how does that happen?
1: (laughs) I would say God or Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely God. I believe that, you know, being a first generation grad, I was actually raised by my grandparents who had a fifth and second grade education. My grandfather was a World War II vet and my grandmother was a stay at home mom and she helped raise me. Of course, my mom had me very young, so they put their heart and soul into building me up to be the man who I am today and I never wanted to let them down and so I continued the journey even when it got tough I continued to be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul and continue to complete my collegiate degree. But the only way that I could do that was by having mentors and sponsors and advocates to stand with me and be on that journey with me. And I will say to this day, I have a mentor, Ms. Sharon Smith-Banks, who basically gave me my, my chance, my second chance, let's say that. And I did not have the resources or the funds to pay to go to college or to pay for my own books, but Ms. Sharon Smith-Banks always found funding for me, no matter what. And I was, I would pay her back in threefold, I feel by now, by always having a high GPA every semester that I got back into school, graduating, and then having the opportunity to take my first job in Shanghai, China. And when I talk about China, people always say, wow, how'd you end up there? Like I wanted and I, I did so much from a student leadership perspective in my undergraduate years where I resurrected my social fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi. I um, was the, the uh, founding father of my business fraternity, fraternity Alpha Kappa Psi. And then I also was Mr. HBCU, Mr. West Virginia State University while being in college as well. And so having these three roles, these three titles where I, I, I sat in a leadership position really showed me that I can do anything, you know? And what I wanted beyond anything else was to be in a sea of learning and cultural exchange when I took my first career outside of college. And wow, I ended up with with my first gig in Shanghai. And it was not an easy feat. I'm telling you, we were some of the first Americans to be a part of this cohort program that they had created. And we actually got there and they told us that they didn't have jobs for us. So I had to wait three weeks to find out if I was going to get a job or not after completing my certification, after begging my family for money. All I had was $100. I'm a new college grad. I don't have any money. I'm just going to China with $100 and making it work, you know? Wow. And I did that. And the first week they told us they didn't have jobs. Okay. The second week they told us they couldn't pay for our food anymore. Okay. The third week they told us they couldn't pay for our hotel and lodging anymore.
0: Okay, so now you're homeless in China <laughs> I'm homeless with no in food, China. no food. <laughs> starving student. That's a different yes. different definition of a starving
1: yes. student for sure. Yes, 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 yes. And wow, I actually ended up tapping into my 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 shall I say my survival skills in this place because I never knew what it meant to fully be homeless or without <laughs> until I got way to chatter. And, and now you're you know, in a
0: place where you can't speak the language and you can't the read language. the signs. Nope,
1: none of it. And I ended up packing up my bags when they said they could no longer pay for the hotel anymore. I packed up my bags and I went over to the most international place that I can think of, which was the shopping mall. Went into the shopping mall, went down to the food court. I had maybe about 50 bucks left at this point. And I went over to KFC to get some of those egg tarts and some of those fried chicken wings. They that's, Those were their staples for KFC in China. Wow. I turned around. And there is, you won't believe what's happening on the other side of the food court, a career fair. There is a career fair for international talent. And I pull, I get my food and I march on over with my three bags, holding them, these big bags now. <laughs> um, Cause I didn't brought my whole life with me from college and Mississippi and West Virginia. <laughs> and um, I get over to the, to the career fair and everyone's watching me. They see I'm dressed nice because see, I'm still suited and booted. I'm thinking that I have to show up as this um, government employee. So I have this button down shirt on that's nice. I have slacks. I have a belt on. I have very nice dress shoes on. And I'm just like, today's going to be my lucky day. And in five seconds, a headmaster of a school pulls me over to their table and say, hey, are you looking for work? They translated it the best way they could. You want work? And I translated it myself and said, Yes, I need work. What can we do? You know, and a lot of the time when you're communicating in in a culture like that, you have to use like sign language and states and everything. Yes, anything that you can use facial to help expression. them understand what you're saying, <laughs> facial expressions. Look, no job pulling out my wallet, no money. Um, I need both. <laughs> and the headmaster translates to the um, Chinese English assistant who can translate to me and says, if he's certified, which I'm certified at this point, let him know that we will cover his room and board and we want him to work for our brand new boarding school. And if he doesn't like it in two weeks, we're going to help him get back to America. What? Here's your train ticket. Wow. I get on, I get the train ticket and this is me just believing in the universe, believing in God, believing in my faith, believing in opportunity. Mind you, 90 new graduates out of this program went to America, went to China from America thinking that they had a brand new new job. 50% of that group returned to America. About 30, 40 of us remained there and found our place. I was one of those people that found their place. And when I say getting on that train and going 30 minutes outside of Shanghai to work for this uh, international boarding school was definitely like life-changing and I wouldn't change it for the world. I think the struggle to get there and to land the opportunity was tough. But at the end of every struggle, there's a rainbow. And throughout that experience, I got a better job a higher salary. I got to travel to over 15 countries for the first time in my life. I got the opportunity to not only build a school just in Shanghai, but also in Hong Kong and Singapore. So to have those rewards, those achievements come out of that space and being the first Black American to do it in, in for this international boarding school was mind-blowing. And I knew in that moment that I could do anything in the world. And that's when I said, you know, the pollution is bad here. I really The food was tough to eat. And I needed a place that was similar, but more Americanized. <laughs> and so I decided that I would leave China and build my career in Silicon Valley, a place for high achievers and believers and dreamers. And I would fit right into the cusp of that community. And that's what I did. And I ended up going to Moving to California um, within like six months of my contract ending in China, maybe like two hundred bucks and um, and a suitcase again, but this time with some experience, with some exposure, more part of the world, more culture, and I ended up with my first job in tech at Airbnb within a week.
0: Wow, that is a story. That is something else. Well, and you know, no wonder you have so many accolades on your resume so far because. I mean, that's a lot of living in a short period of time. <laughs> yes. So now, and I know, and it was funny that you mentioned just being able to overcome all those things because I think one of the things that I was listening to in your podcast, you had, a, you have a podcast, tell people that, it, and it was all about rising above COVID nineteen. Yes. But it was, it was about a um, kind of the inclusion living, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. Inclusive living. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, and I thought that was so interesting because I think a lot of times people don't think about inclusive living. We just live. Mm-hmm. We
1: mm-hmm. don't
0: necessarily have the awareness of what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that you talked about in that podcast were really about coming through darkness into light mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. able, you know, it's like I think one of your guests says something like you have to have a little darkness in order to see the light. Yes, yes. Which I thought was just so profound because a lot of times we hate being in the darkness. We hate going through, you know, those tough times, but yet Mm -mm. we always seem to come out of them with so much more. And the experience that you created there, I mean, the cultural aspects of it are amazing. So to see you now as what you call a cultural coach Mm-hmm. Let's talk mm-hmm. about what what does that mean to you, and and how you're living your life now, and not not anymore in Silicon Valley. But yep. what, what has yep. that brought?
1: Yes, definitely. I will say, like the first time that I touched the land of Asia and being in China, I felt like I had already become a connoisseur of cultural experiences. Just by standing in a store, people will follow me around to see what I buy. They would video me when I go into certain restaurants to eat. They would, um, when I shop, they go into the same stores and buy the same things that I buy. If they have a baby, I named like one hundred Asian babies. I gave them all my cousins' names: LaQuisha, you know, Shawanda, you know. I I, get, I named them after my siblings. Like I've given them. All of, you know, the experiences that, you know, I had growing up as a Black boy in America, I, I shared that. I was able to spread that Black boy joy amongst this land. And with with that, you know, even during my most humblest days of, you know, trying to figure out my career, what I'm great at, what I'm doing, in the midst of that, I, I always saw the light. I always saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and that pushed me to create what I created today, which is you know Cordero Davis International and Diversity Studios, which is a space that focuses on you know truly accelerate the Black and Brown experience in corporate America, specifically tech companies, providing tech organizations with the infrastructure to retain and develop technical talent around the world, and with my experience of you know going back to. Asia, after years of being away and consulting in Singapore, it really showed me that there were so many gaps and, and opportunities for us to bridge the gap between Asia and America. The inclusion that we have here is not the same that they have in Asia. The inclusion that we have in, in, in America is not the same inclusion that they have in Europe. So it's imperative that, you know, we, not only do the work for one but we do the work for all because we're not done until everyone has equity everyone Feels equal, you know. And so it's been a, a really exciting journey to, you know, transition out of the corporate space and more into being, you know, that, that architect, that consultant, that advisor to organizations, small and big, or uh, in the Fortune 500, that truly need the support, they need design thinking, they need someone with lived experience, they also need someone who is not afraid to shut things down a little bit. <laughs> and so with all of those experiences, they, they have prepared me to be the antidote, to be to create a, um, a seamless experience that truly focuses on inclusion holistically. And that's exactly why the podcast came about, Inclusive Living, because I want people to think about inclusion in everything that they do. You know, diversity is great, but it's, it's past time that we think about inclusion creating inclusive spaces so that diversity is not something that we have to worry about. What we have to worry about is an overflow of so many people being interested in organizations that, you know, because they're so great, you know, that should be the problem, you know, not necessarily that, you know, the culture is not good or, you know, the employees' voices aren't heard or women are discriminated against and there's no space for LGBTQ plus people, you know, we have to move past that conversation to, Hey, we are inclusive from our core. We are inclusive from our DNA. And this is how we live, you know, inclusive living.
0: Absolutely. That's fantastic. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. So tell me a little bit about, because I know you have some eBooks coming out and you talked a little bit about your other book. Mm -hmm. So maybe tell me a little bit about some of the things you're doing today, and then I'll get back into some of the questions I have for you on the consulting side.
1: Yes, of course, of course. So this has been a really exciting year for people in business, people who, let's not say people. Black people who are driven and and just, oh my goodness, like, I can't even put into words the amount of intention and love and courage that it has taken so many people these past couple of months to put their idea out there, to make their dream bigger, to expand all all the things that they have been working on for so long and to feel accepted and appreciated and like they've arrived. And I will say I have reaped some of those rewards. It has been so important for me to focus, not like I said earlier, not necessarily on diversity, but inclusion. And a piece of that inclusion is products, products, putting ourselves in spaces where representation for black and brown people is not even close to being equal um, where we're at that 2%, that 1%, that 3%, which is why I created Diversity Studios, a space where representation in all areas can become, you know, more, shall I say, accessible for people like myself and you. And so in the midst of that, I've decided to create expand on just speaking at events or sitting on a panel or you know having the opportunity to work one-on-one with companies. I decided to create a product and something very short, sweet, and straight to the point that gives people the opportunity to leverage the work that it takes to move forward in life, to heal through the trauma that we have experienced in the workplace. And therefore, I have called this series of ebooks, Workplace Inclusion, Volume 1 and 2. Workplace Inclusion Series 1 focuses on the healing mechanisms that it truly takes for us to move forward past workplace trauma. We have had this, shall I say this, this Black space in the workplace for over 400 years where Black people have not had an opportunity to vocalize um, how they feel or if they have rights or or if they are being heard or if they have a seat at the table. You know, Black people have not had the opportunity to be promoted and advanced and developed in organizations without having to speak up for themselves. But this... Particular ebook gives people the power, the opportunity to learn cross-culturally what it truly means to be traumatized in the workplace and the powerful steps towards healing past that trauma so that we can continue to break generational curses and we can dis- dismantle systemic racism and injustices and bias within work systems. And book two is a follow-up of that that basically kind of breaks down, you know, the story of me being, you know, a 16-year-old boy called a good slave and how exactly does that affect and impact someone um, in the workplace and why it's important to have allies and advocates that are active. And so what this book provides is essential tips and tools and actually best practices for active allies to move themselves from being passive, for being in the opposition seat, to actually being an advocate. To actually being an accomplice, and so really excited about both editions that are coming out because they add layers, they add they add familiarity with stories, with international scope, talking to not only about the um, the black experience or just the American experience, but also my experiences of living in Singapore and working with you know those those types of um, companies, as well as with communities in places like Taiwan and the Philippines and Australia. And so it gives a whole synopsis of how exactly D&I is defined in different places, how different places have different levels of um, scrutiny and um, and, and discrimination that they have to work through in the workplace to truly be a successful business. Because no business is successful if its culture is broken.
0: That's a great point, especially now that we think about these conversations you know every company has the ability to go global uh, fairly mm-hmm. easily these days with you know digitizing their products and so you talked a little bit about product inclusion and the ability cuz i t- i spend a lot of time just talking about the fact that inclusion is in everything we do and there's so mm-hmm. many times that We have companies creating products and the use cases for those products don't include specific Mm -hmm. populations of people merely because maybe they're not participating in some way. I know in the financial system, we have folks that don't put their money in a bank. They don't cash their check at a bank. So, mm-hmm. so there is a lack mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. participation in how those products are created, and they really miss and, and overlook a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities to really re-engineer banking in general. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about product inclusion? Mm-hmm. I know we've worked on some things together in terms of just trying to help people envision a real you know, strategy on bringing product, technology, social impact kind of all together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. One of my favorite spaces. So you're hearing me talk about it so much. And it's mostly because it is a fine time for businesses to align their core mission and their core values to diversity, equity, and inclusion. If your business is not aligned to it, you do not make sales. There's a trillion dollar investment into consumers, con- consumers for Black people, for Latinx communities as well. And you, when you think about the ratio for people with disabilities and people with veteran status that is also millions of dollars as well that is invested into the consumer space for products specifically. If your products do are not inclusive enough to include those communities, then you miss out on, you know, you miss out on that dollar, you miss out on great business, you miss out on your tools and resources being available to people also people who are a part of the intersectionality thereof of being Black with a disability, Black with a veteran status, or someone that is, or a woman that has, you know, LGBTQ+. plus. Like, we want to ensure that, you know, it's very imperative that your product's actually sell your products actually meet the needs of communities specifically communities that you're not reaching and so in some of the work that we did it was imperative that we researched that you know people always ask like what are the steps that you take to you know actually you know understand if a product is inclusive well first first of all did you have inclusive voices and inclusive backgrounds in the ideology phase of the product. Because if you're not having that in the ideation phase of, of product inclusion of any specific product that you're creating, then you are slowly but surely becoming a consumer that only serves the same consumer. <laughs> and you want to be in the seat of, hey, what if I was buying this for my company, you know? And Who knows what type of diversity you have in your own household? It is important to put ourselves in those shoes, but also to not make assumptions, to have voices and um, experiences and backgrounds in the room that come from those communities as well. So that within those focus groups, you can have the right influence so that you can create products that serve the world, not just products that serve this specific community. (laughs) or that specific community, but you want to serve all communities.
0: (laughs) And I don't know that a lot of companies intentionally, you know, go out there and say, I only want to make this product for this population of people. (laughs) So usually it's like Mm we, you know, you do Mm -hmm. it in a way and all of a sudden you look, you launch a product and you go, Oh, this doesn't work for some." I mean, I had a conversation with Dr. D Miller. She is, phenomenal and she spends mm-hmm. spent a lot of time talking about inclusive design. She was talking about how her grandmother who was diabetic at the time couldn't use the tool mm-hmm. that she was supposed to use to measure her her sugar and how that, you know, kind of built momentum mm-hmm. for her in saying, wow, you know, nobody thought that you know, they're using different language or they they can't you know, do the same things. And so she talked about the iterative Mm -hmm. design process in order to make sure that you're pulling that information Mm -hmm. in. Can you talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. any tips Mm -hmm. you want to provide for, say, small business in this space? Because I think a lot of the questions I get are, you know, I don't have a massive, you know, employee base. So how can I tap into diversity equity and inclusion if I don't have, you know, a big workforce? Of course,
1: of course. And I think that's really key when you are building the inclusive thinking, and inclusive living into the DNA of your organization. It doesn't matter what size the organization is. You're going to celebrate people. You're going to recognize people. You're going to recognize culture. You're going to celebrate culture. You're going to be invested in culture. You're going to also, you know, if you have interns, you want to ensure that those interns come from underserved communities. You want to be the beacon for, you know, um, how does a small business create inclusive living into its DNA of the organization, of any type of organization, you know, and you start with those basics. And I think the first thing is asking your employees what they want, asking your employees what's missing, asking your employees what they need. A lot of times it's not about salary. A lot of times it's not about, you know, more days off. It's not about, you know, shorter hours, etc. It's all about recognition. It's all about investment and it's all about access and awareness. You are ensuring that you employees understand what their performance eval looks like. You are ensuring that, you know, when it's time to be promoted, that they are communicated with effectively about the promotion process. You are ensuring that, you know, um, women have rights in the workplace, such as attorney leave, et cetera. And, you know, they're able to take days off because in some places, women can't take days off. And that is something that is truly crippling for the world not just that specific country, and then it's important for you know you to educate yourself to listen, to learn and to love
0: I love that the um, you know and it's funny because I do think that we have and and I, I'll just ask you the question because I think it's it's an interesting one. Do you think people are listening? I would say
1: people are listening, but they're listening not to learn and to love. I think people are listening just because it's a hot topic right now. Yes. Would this be something that was, you know, like I said, building DEI into the core of your DNA takes you taking a full enterprise-wide assessment of everything that you're working on, from how you attract talent, from... The way that you retain talent, from the way that you develop and advance talent, those three areas are crippling to organizations. Those are just the beginning building blocks of DEI in the workplace. There's so many other areas to look into where if you don't have equity there, it's time to change up some things, how people are promoted, what level people actually sit at. You know, salary bans, pay equity, maternity leave, paternity leave, so many areas to look into, policies and procedures, all of the legacy, grandfathered, shall I say, doorkeeper activity needs to stop. (laughs) It needs to stop. It has to be holistic 360 equity across an organization to reach the, shall I say, the class of being an equitable diverse and inclusive organization.
0: Yeah, so well put. Cuz it's interesting, I think a lot of times, you know, when the CEO says, "Yes, I support DEI and, you know, I'm all in," they don't necessarily realize all those door-keeping blockades in the middle that, <laughs> yes. you know, people are dealing with. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you have to be open to really understanding how people in your organization can hinder Mm -hmm. the actual cultural integration and inclusion that you're trying to get to. So, Yes,
1: yes. When I talked about
0: my my hometown and
1: our school district, they have been working for two decades to integrate that school district. Two decades. The Supreme Court had to step in. You know why it took over two decades? (laughs) That is because doorkeepers, systemic racism, bias, microaggressions, you know, the list just goes on and on. The systems that are in place to continue to keep us from growing and developing is not hindering us per se, it's hindering our kids. We have to understand that the children are the future and that if they don't really understand what being human is, what humanity is, then we'll never live in a world that's inclusive and diverse.
0: Wow, so well said, Cordero. Any last thoughts you want to leave with? There's so much there, I, you know. And tell people how to how they can access your ebook.
1: Yes, of course. So my ebook is right now on Amazon Kindle for pre-order. We fight together the journey for allies and advocates for inclusion and belonging. And I will send that link out as well. You can also follow me on Instagram. My my link is my hashtag is I am Cordero Davis. That's I A M Cordero Davis. And then LinkedIn. Cord- Daryl Davis PCC you should see me there please feel free to add me as well and then yeah I will have a brand new website launch as well as my book launch on this upcoming Sunday so right now you may not be able to access my website but you will be able to in the coming days so truly excited to have had this conversation with you and I just want to tell everyone that equality is a journey and we must travel it together and throughout all my travel experiences that I've had, I want to be able to shed that light on you because who knows who you'll beside on the plane next or in a, on a bus or on a train or on a boat. You know, just know that we're all on a journey together and we have to travel it together in order for us to win.
0: It has been such a pleasure talking with you, Cordero. You are doing so many wonderful things that I just appreciate all that you bring when you come. So, if there's anything I could do, you know how to reach me. I'm looking forward to more conversations, and I know people will be watching you as you grow as well. So, thank you for all you do, and thank you for being here and joining me for the podcast.
1: Yes, of course. Thank you, Mel. It was such a pleasure.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.